Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Would you do me a favor and please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Hello to all of you worshiping uh, with the Christ Chapel family no matter where you are. Uh, Today is an exciting day. We're beginning a new series with a pretty epic video to to start that off. Our creative arts team did a wonderful uh, job with that. Uh, But before we jump into the sermon, just want to uh, encourage all of you and just as your venue pastors did, uh, please pray for Israel. Israel. Um, please, please, please. We're commanded in Psalm 122 to do so, uh, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, the Israelites are God's chosen people whom he's chosen to reveal himself through his relationship with them, his unconditional love. And what we pray for is not just peace uh, to resolve the conflict there, but ultimate shalom, ultimate peace, that they would turn to Christ as their Messiah and see him. So in this conflict, we pray for them to find peace amongst the conflict, certainly, but they would find uh, Jesus as the true Messiah, the one that they have been waiting for. So please uh, be praying uh, for Israel. Okay, uh, today, as I said, we're starting a new series called Revealing the Unknown God. We're just continuing to walk through the book of Acts. We're, we're not doing anything out of the ordinary that we've not done uh, this entire year. And remember, we're walking through the book of Acts because we're focusing on reach. Remember, our discipleship endeavor. Be one, make one, reach one. We want you to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. Also, to make disciples, to help others grow in their faith, in their spiritual journey, and then also to reach those who do not know or walk with Jesus. And one of the ways that we reach folks is by revealing a God that they do not know yet. And that's really the title for the series. It's called Revealing the Unknown God. And you're going to see that phrase next week in the passage that we're going to study in the second part of Acts chapter 17 when Paul says, hey, basically, let me reveal. I see you have an altar to an unknown God. Let me tell you who that is. So that phrase is going to come up next week. But today, uh, you're going to see that Paul is going to take a a different approach to revealing an unknown God as he begins to reach into a a Greco-Roman world that was full of idols and philosophies that were all contradictory to who God is. So uh, this is the series, though, that we've been telling you that we want you to be involved in a group, in a group. And so uh, some of you, you haven't heard that message yet, and so I want to give you an opportunity. If you're not in a group, these are the four-week sprint groups that we're talking about. And the reason why we've called them Sprint is just because it's four weeks in a row, and, and that's it. If you're not in one of those Sprint groups, in a home group, or you want to get that material yourself so that you can take some folks who live around you through this material, or maybe folks in your workplace, or you want to take the lunch break, they're 12-minute videos, 12-minute videos with discussion questions. We can give you all the resources that you need. Uh, please just text groups to two four. Four, two, five, three, and uh, we'll begin that conversation with uh, how we can equip you to take this study deeper and apply it to your context, your neighborhood, your friend group, your hobby group, your workplace to reveal an unknown God. So as we begin this series, something that is I always like to do is kind of tell you my goals, my aspirations, my hopes uh, for this series. So I'm weird. I'm going to walk you through them, um, but I want to tell you 
here are the goals uh, for us as a church uh, through the rest of the series that's going to take us all the way through the rest of the calendar year of 2023. First, I want to, I hope you are inspired to make God known to those around you. That's pretty simple. I hope you're inspired to reveal an unknown God to those around you. That's the 800,000 in our own backyard. And the 800,000, remember, let me remind you, that is 800,000 folks within a 10-mile radius of all of our campuses that, do, that say that they don't know God, they don't walk with God, they don't, they don't know the God that you proclaim to love that has changed your life. I hope this inspires you to be able to reveal him to those around you. Second, we, I hope that you learn some strategies and, and approaches that the apostles used to reveal the unknown God, and then you apply those. We're going to talk about one of those particular strategies that Paul uses today that is a, a new word that, he, that hasn't been used yet in the book of Acts. So I hope you learn some of these strategies and approaches and apply those to those around you. And then third, I hope that you would draw near to our God who wants to be known. I want you to draw near to our God who wants to be known. I, I don't want anyone to be misled by the title of the series, and, and I chose the title of the series, but don't be misled. Our God wants to be known. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him deeper, more fully. He wants people to know uh, those folks that don't know him. They, he wants them to come to know him. And ultimately, that's why we're going to go all the way through the end of the year with this series, because how do I know he wants to be known? He sent his son. He sent his son so that you, it, it, God wasn't just this abstract concept, this mysterious, unknown, invisible God, but he came in the flesh to be the exact image and representation of who God is, to give his life so that you could be reconciled to that holy God. He wants to be known and in a right relationship with you. And so I hope through this series you would draw closer to him because I know that the closer that you draw to him, the more you will reveal him to those around you. So those are my goals for the series. But I want to pick up, we're in Acts chapter 17. And last week, uh, Ben was in Acts chapter 16. Very good. Yeah. Because remember, we're just walking through the book of Acts here. So Ben was in Acts chapter 16, and Paul and Silas are, were in Philippi. They were in Philippi. Remember, they get thrown in jail. This miraculous earthquake takes place, and instead of running, they stay. They stay and proclaim the gospel. The Philippian jailer comes to know Christ, goes home, shares Christ, reveals this unknown God to his family. Everybody comes to know Christ. It's this huge party. It's wonderful. Wonderful things going on in Acts chapter 16. Then they're going to take a turn and they're going to go to Thessalonica. Now I want to show you where, where we are because I told you, Paul and Silas are pushing further and further into the Greco-Roman world uh, during that time. So uh, if you see uh, over towards Syria, you see Jerusalem and Judea, Syria and Antioch. Antioch, remember, was their sending church. They were the sending church that sent 
commissioned uh, Paul, uh, specifically Paul and Barnabas, but then now Paul and Silas, he's sending them out. And so now they're going further into Macedonia. So they were in Philippi. We're going to go to Thessalonica, then we'll end up in Berea today. So we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 17. We're going to look all the way through verse 15, but I just want to read uh, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. Verses 1 through 6. So just follow along with me, please. Uh, Now when they, that is uh, Paul and Silas, had passed through two towns, I'm not going to try to pronounce, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ, the Messiah. Verse four, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women, which means many of the leading women of the town. Verse 5, but the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd where Paul and Silas were staying. Verse 6, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. May God bless the reading of his word. May our hearts be open to hear from him because we are going to stop right there because I want to focus on that phrase that the jealous Jews used of Paul and Silas back in verse 6. If you look at it again, it says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Isn't that an awesome sentence? This, it's just such a wonderful, wonderful sentence. That, that term to turn the world upside down. Um, It it actually means to, they have stirred up the world or a a better synonym in my opinion is they have unsettled the world. They have made it unsettled. That's the turn upside down. They have unsettled the world and they have been doing it all around the world and guess what? They've come here also. Now when you think about what Paul and and Silas were doing, in a sense, they were turning the world upside down. And if you think back to the time when you came to know Christ, in a sense, your world was probably unsettled when you came to know Christ. Your world was probably turned upside down. I, I remember when I came to know Christ, I came to know Christ at the end of my junior year in high school when I was 16, and I remember praying um, and, and just knowing that I needed the Lord's forgiveness. And I said, Lord, I need you to forgive me. And the second thing that I said was, I know that with you in my life, I cannot keep living the same way I'm living. I, I, I couldn't keep doing the same things that I was doing. And I couldn't keep hanging out with the same crowd that I was hanging out with all the time. I couldn't have the same focus. I couldn't have the same attention. I, I had to have a different purpose because uh, I was a normal high school kid at that time, and you can imagine what I was doing. 
who I was hanging out with, the things that I was thinking about, the, the purpose that I had in my life. And I knew that with Jesus in my life, I couldn't keep doing that. And I know that the people around me thought that my world had gotten turned upside down. They thought I was upside down. They, they, they thought that I, who, who are you? I, in, in a real sense, some of them got angry with me. Who do you think you are? Holier than thou, self-righteous. You, you, I, my, I was turned upside down to them. But guys, for those of you who've, who walk with Jesus, you know, just as I learned in that moment, I wasn't upside down. I was right side up. Like, things began to, to make sense. I understood forgiveness. I understood uh, uh, unconditional love by Jesus, the one that I had been looking for, the one that you and I and everyone else created in his image was created to experience when they're reconciled to their creator. I, I was, life was fuller. I had more joy than I had ever had in my life. I had more peace than I had ever had in my life. My life was right side up when I came to know Jesus. It wasn't upside down. But to everyone on the outside, it looked upside down. So I understand what these people are saying when they say, Paul and Silas, who've turned the world upside down, they've come here also. And it wasn't necessarily Paul and Silas's intent to turn the world upside down. They were trying to turn people right side up. Right side up to reconcile them to a holy God. But they're revealing God. They're revealing him, saying that Jesus is the Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to walk back through this text, and I want to show you the approach that Paul and Silas, Paul specifically, takes to reveal an unknown God that is turning the world upside down, but hopefully in turning people right side up. I want to show you what that approach is because it, it, has a, it has a distinction, a, a uniqueness, as I told you, as they push into the Greco-Roman world. Then I want to show you what the effect is, and throughout I'll ask you some introspective questions and give you some applications at the end. So we're going to start back at the beginning because I want you to see that revealing the unknown God can be done with reason. It can be done with reason. So Paul and Silas leave Philippi. They go to Thessalonica, which was about 100 miles. And I told you that they passed through two towns that I didn't want to pronounce. And uh, really, they probably didn't stop in those towns because those towns may not have had synagogues. And it was Paul's custom to stop in synagogues, which we'll talk just about in just a second. But look back at verses 2 and 3. And Paul went in, as was his custom, this was into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Now, the reason why I said uh, you can reveal an unknown God through reason is because that is a very important term that is used here in the book of Acts. That term reason, this is the very first time that that term is used in the book of Acts. And the, the 
particular Greek word is uh, dialegomai, uh, which we get our word dialogue from. So it, it says that Paul went into the synagogues and began to dialogue or discuss or, or contemplate uh, back and forth with those Jews in the synagogue. So he begins to reason with them and, and dialogue uh, with the Jews. Now, this was his custom, and I think there's something that, that we can learn from that, because why was it Paul's custom to go in and, as he's doing here, reason with the Jews in the synagogue? I think two things. I think it was his custom, because first, remember, the Jews were looking for the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah. So he's going in and telling them, the one you've been waiting for, here he is. I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm revealing, this is the one you've been waiting for. He has arrived. He is here and available to you. So I think that's, that's the first reason why it was his custom to go into synagogues. But the second reason was because those in the synagogues, those were the ones that were in his sphere of influence. Remember, Paul was Saul, and Saul was the Pharisee of all Pharisees. He was respected amongst all. He was discipled by Gamaliel, who, if you go back into the book of Acts, he was like the chief of Pharisees. He was, he was the, the big dog. It was like, man, I, you know, I was coached by Tom Landry, you know, the, the legend, you know, and so, but now I, it, it's me. He's passed on the ministry to me. And so this is his sphere of influence. He has a voice into their life. He's followed the Jewish law. He's followed the Jewish customs. He, know, he knows their life. And I think that's really important because as we talk about revealing an unknown God, there are spheres of influence that you all have, whether it's in your workplace, in your friend group, in your family, in your neighborhood, you have a voice into their life. You know their life circumstances. You know the road that they've walked and you may have walked a similar path and you get to speak into their life with uh, an authenticity, with an expertise and with a credibility that no one else can't, that I can't, that other people can't. Don't miss those opportunities because there are opportunities right in front of you for you to speak into folks' lives. So that's why it was Paul's custom. And he goes into the synagogue, and he begins to reason with them. And reason is, is, as I said, was a new term that was introduced here in the book of Acts. But there are actually four terms that are used in verses 2 and 3 that I want to highlight so that you can understand how do we use reason when we reveal an unknown God. Because that's when you begin to talk to your friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, who, you know, standing on the soccer sideline or the, the, the baseball base, base path, whatever it is, you want to have a reasonable conversation with folks. So what does that mean and what does that look like? So let's break down these four terms, and this is in a gray box on your sermon notes. Um, so that you understand what reason looks like and can look like in your everyday life. So verse 2, he reasoned. He used question and answers. That, that's, that's what this term means. Remember, I told you it comes from the term dialogue. 
So Paul, let's, let's just be crystal clear here. Paul doesn't go in and begin condemning the Jews. He doesn't go in and begin just preaching to them. He doesn't go in and just start talking at them. He goes in and begins to ask questions. Question and answer time. I, I think that's super important because I, I want to understand where someone is in their spiritual journey. And the best way to understand where somebody is is to ask questions. Thank you. I, we haven't talked in a while. So <laughs> to ask questions. Ask questions, and, and, and not ask questions in a gotcha way. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to trap anybody or anything. I'm, I'm genuinely curious where they are in their spiritual journey, why they believe what they believe, why, why they behave the way that they behave. I want to understand them, get, get to know them. And, and I know one of the, the, the problems that people have with question and answers, one of the, the fears that we all have is, I'm going to be asked a question I don't know the answer to. That, that's why you don't ask questions, and sometimes that's the reason why I don't ask questions. Let me go ahead and give you permission. It's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay. There are questions that people have asked me that I will forever have to answer I don't know until I see Jesus face to face. I, I, don't, I don't know. And, and, and if you think, well, Cody, you should have all those answers. You have a seminary education. Well, you're wrong. So I, 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 there, there are aspects where I, I can't understand or explain the mind of God. I, I, I just don't. I know what the Bible tells us. I know what God has revealed. And this is what I can share. So don't, don't be afraid to ask questions. And honestly, if you don't have all the answers, isn't that more endearing? We're trying to reach a, a, a broken and lost world of which we're broken and lost people who've only found a savior. I don't have it all together, but praise God, he does. I, I, I'm not asking you to be perfect. I don't think God is asking you to be perfect. I think God is asking you to point people to a perfect savior. That's what he's asking you. So question and answers. And by the way, our church should be a place where people can ask any question they want to. It, you are okay to ask questions. You are okay to not have all the answers. That is fine. This is a place for you to continue to search out the heart of God. So first is that reason, using question and answers. Second one is he proclaimed it says that he proclaimed to them that Jesus was the Christ. He used clear and truthful statements. He uses three statements in that, in that little thing where it tells us his approach. He tells them that Jesus had to suffer, that Jesus has risen from the dead, and Jesus is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. He used very clear, very succinct, truthful statements. When we get into question, if you get into a dialogue and question and answer, it's okay to say that you don't know. That's all right. It's okay to say, let me go ask. Let me find out. Let's, let's figure this out together. Those are things that are okay. But eventually, we have to get to a place where we're making some clear and truthful statements. You are a sinner, just like I'm a sinner. That's a very clear, pointed, truthful statement. 
but it's true. You need a Savior. But Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. Those very clear, truthful statements. And here's why those things are very important. Because we live in a world that's relative. Where everything is relative. Well, that works for you. Or, or you know, this is, how I, this is how I like to think about it. I understand that that's how you like to think about it. But there's a truth and a reality. Guess what? One day you're going to die. You're, you're going to see the Lord face to face, and he's going to ask you, why should I let you into a holy heaven? Well, because I tried hard. God, I love that answer. That's just not sufficient. Not going to get you there. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's just some very clear statements. Eventually, you have to get to clear and truthful statements, and those are the things that Paul is saying here. Clear dialogue, reasoning, three Sabbath days, three, three, three church services where he goes in and he dialogues with them. But eventually you got to get to a place where you're using clear and truthful statements. Third, he explained, he used the scriptures. We want to anchor people in God's word. We believe that God's word is inerrant, God's word is inspired, and that God's word is living and active. That God's word speaks to us in our direct daily activities, our direct daily thoughts, our direct and daily feelings. That his word speaks to us and we always want to root people in the scriptures. Now, I know that there are folks today that don't believe in the Bible. And you go, Cody, it doesn't really help me to, you know, show them the Bible if they don't believe the Bible. Hey, use scripture. I, I just... there. You might, I think it's very helpful if you take a Bible and you show them. I think that's very helpful. I remember uh, in seminary we had a guy come and teach us evangelism. And I loved his beginning question. He, he, his beginning question, this guy named Larry Moyer, some of you may have heard of him, wonderful evangelist. But he always says, has, he asked a question of people. He said, has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven? Wonderful question. Like, has anyone ever, uh, they might have pontificated, they might have given you their opinion, but has anybody ever taken a Bible and shown you? I think that's really helpful to show people from the scriptures. But even if people don't believe in the Bible or you don't have a Bible around, I'll just tell you one of the things that I do to share scripture or answers like that. I just write a scripture on an index card and I give it to them. Uh, I, I found that that is helpful, that people do hold on to those things, and they, they do look back at those things. And God's word is living. It'll speak to them in their everyday life. But use scripture. Paul used the scriptures, certainly because the Jews would have known of the Old Testament scriptures, but I think the scriptures are living and active and can be used today. And then finally, he proved. It says that he proved to them proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. Let me ask you a question. How does he prove that Christ rose from the dead? How did he prove to them that Christ rose from the dead? What was one of the ways that people proved things? We've talked about this before. What was one of the ways that they proved things back in those days? Eyewitness accounts, right? Eyewitness accounts. Did Paul see Jesus alive? 
Yes, on the road to Damascus, he saw that Jesus was alive. He saw, so in that one, he was Saul at the, at the time. He wasn't using his Roman name, Paul. But Saul saw Jesus alive. That's how he was able to prove. He's like, man, I'll tell you, I saw him. I saw that he, that's how he proves him. Plus, the other thing that proved him, his life was completely different. Remember, I told you, he was the Jew of all Jews. He was following the customs of the law. And now that he knows Jesus, his life is flipped upside down. It's completely different, or it's right side up. He used all of these measures in order to show and reason and reveal the unknown God, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah that they had been waiting for in the synagogue. So here's my introspective question for you. Does your life prove that Jesus is alive? Does your life prove that Jesus is alive? And notice I said your life. Not just your words. We need, we need to use words. But those have to be congruent. Your words have to be consistent with your life. You see, Paul's life was radically different. And I know so, some of you might say, well, my life, Cody, isn't radically different. You know, I didn't come from a debaucherous, you know, lifestyle and then came to know Christ and I'm completely straight edged now and totally different. That's okay, but guys, living the Christian life today is a radical way to live. But are you, are you living it out in a way where you don't talk like everybody else? You don't forward the emails that everybody else forwards. You, you don't use your finances the way that everybody uses their finances. You don't spend your time the way that everybody else spends your time. There are some distinctives to your life that say, I believe that Jesus is real and he changed my life. There should be a difference in you because you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Is your life different Because Jesus is alive, and Jesus is alive in you. Does your life prove that Jesus is alive like Paul's life proved that Jesus is alive? Okay, so he used reason, and I'm going to have to speed up here. I apologize. Uh, He used reason in order to reveal the unknown God, and I think you can use reason as an approach to reveal an unknown God to those around you. But beware. Revealing the unknown God will turn some people's world upside down. Revealing the unknown God will turn some people's worlds upside down. If you look back at verse 5, it says, But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble. I love that phrase. Some wicked men of the rabble. The, the rabble, the the, the term that's used there is these were just uh, basically guys that were up to no good in the marketplace from, from the Agora. So um, taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. Isn't that ironic? They're, they are accusing Paul and Silas of, of unsettling and stirring up the world, and that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> 
takes them, sets the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, who may have, Jason may have been a relative of Paul, which is why Paul and Silas were staying with them during their time in Thessalonica. But either way, they were looked at aiding and abetting these um, unsettlers of the world, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And so remember that term, turning the world upside down, means unsettled. And if you unsettle a, a, a person's life, sometimes they can get aggressive. They can, they, they can become angry because you're going against everything that they've ever known. And in a sense, Paul was turning the world upside down. The whole, the whole structure, uh, the whole power structure of that day was getting turned upside down. The, 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 the ways of the world, the, the social norms, the cultural mores were becoming completely different by what Paul is preaching. Because as we talked about, even in our series on, on Matthew, when Jesus preaches the Beatitudes, he is turning the world upside down, but he's turning it right side up. Blessed are those who, and those were not the people who were blessed in the world at that time. So in a sense, they are turning the world, and they're angry. They, they are acting unreasonably. And you say, well, shouldn't Paul reason with them? Cody, you just told me uh, that, you know, we should, we should reason with folks. I, I heard a great quote, and I think, I think this is true. You cannot reason someone out of an argument that reason did not get them into. You can't reason someone out of an argument that reason did not get them into. I think we should still act reasonably, but standing there and trying to reason with these people that are aggressive <laughs> and trying to get at their throats uh, with this mob and drag them out basically to kill them, um, it, not, not really in, very helpful to stand and reason with them. But they're putting social pressure on them. They're, they're saying these unfounded accusations uh, uh, against them. And, and, and in fact, if you think about it, as I told you, even turning the world upside down, what is it that gets the mob to back off? If you keep going, it's money. They, they basically ask Jason for money uh, to, to give them money so that they'll stop and a promise that Paul will never come back here and they'll uh, relinquish their efforts of trying to go and seek him out. So it's a totally worldly system. And so when we talk about uh, dealing with those kinds of circumstances, if you're revealing the unknown God and it's turning someone's world upside down and they get angry and aggressive, let me just ask you this question. Is your identity settled firmly in who God says you are? And you go, that, that sounds like a left term. Let me explain for just a second. People that are angry and aggressive, upset, and whose worlds have been unsettled are going to call you many things that probably are not true of you. And Christians today are being called all sorts of things, whether it's ignorant, uh, intolerant, unloving, all, all of those things. And you go, that's not true. And man, when those, th when those things have been said of me, that hurts. Because I know that that's the furthest from the truth. I, 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 I am loving uh, of people.
people. And so you've got to understand who God says you are because the world is going to say you're a lot of things that you aren't. And so you've got to understand, God, this is who you say that I am. And I represent you. And it doesn't matter the pressure that comes. It doesn't matter these unfounded accusations that come against Paul and Silas. Uh, these uh, sticks and stones, these words that, that hurt. These, yeah, they'll probably hurt, but they aren't true. And you've got to say, Christ, your word and what you say about me is my firm foundation. This is the rock on which I will stand. Because other people will begin to say things that might cause you to question, well, am I unloving? Am, am I this way? No, 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 no. You just continue to be who God has called you to be, doing what God has called you to do. And then finally, revealing the unknown God will turn some people's world right side up. It will turn some people's world right side up. Uh, Paul and, and Silas go to uh, Berea. They leave Thessalonica. They go to Berea, which was about 45 miles away. And look at what happens in Berea. It says, now these Jews, in verse 11, now these Jews in Berea, Paul does what? He follows the same custom, goes into the synagogue. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. And then verse 12 tells us that many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. This is completely different. Completely different. How is he... Just a fun thing, um, when it says that they were more noble-minded, you need to understand what that term actually means. It doesn't mean that they were of noble birth. It means they were more level-headed. It means they were more level-headed. They were willing to dialogue. They were willing to discuss. They were willing to engage in question and answers. And then they go and search the, search the scriptures and they realize, this is true. And many people believe. Now, did Paul and Silas know that they were going to act any differently than the Thessalonians? No. They had no idea. I, in fact, if, I think because Paul and Silas are human, they're probably walking into Berea going, oh boy, here we go again. Same thing's going to happen. They're going to hate us. They're going to drive us out. But this is what we're called to do. And then it says, a lot of people come to faith. A lot of people believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Here's my question for you. Are you willing to persevere with the hope that some might receive Christ? Are you willing to persevere with the hope that some might receive Christ? It would have been very easy for Paul and Silas to go back to Antioch of Syria, a long way away from all those folks that didn't like them, and, and go back home. You know, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home, and nobody's going to play. Don't take your Jesus and go home so nobody can see him. Don't, because if you continue to persevere and reveal an unknown God, you never know who's going to be right around the corner who's going to say, we've been waiting to, see, we've been waiting for here, for, to hear this. We've been waiting to see this. Thank you for telling us. See, let me give you a few quick applications here because I want you to reveal our God who wants to be known. I want you to reveal our God who wants to be known. And three quick ways uh, to do that. First is through reason. 
And let me, let me say to you, Christian, your faith is very reasonable because everyone in this world has faith. They might have faith that a God doesn't exist, but I don't think that's true. But everybody in this world has faith, and your faith is reasonable. Your faith in the veracity of the scriptures is reasonable. People have way fewer manuscripts of many things that they study in colleges today and universities today and things they put their hope in. We have way more manuscripts that prove that this is true. Way more evidence that the scriptures are true. So reveal God through reason. Second, being reasonable. Being reasonable. Uh, the verse that I put down there was 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. When it talks about honoring Christ the Lord as holy. But it says, reveal him with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. So reveal God through reason. Being reasonable. Leaving the results to God. Leaving the results to God. You cannot make someone receive Christ. And I'll be frank, you can't even reason someone into a relationship they don't want to be in. It doesn't matter how reasonable you are. It doesn't matter how much reason you share. But you can reveal God in hopes that it doesn't just turn their world upside down, but that it turns their world right side up. Let me pray for us. God, uh, thank you for the saints of the faith that have persevered for which we are the fruit. Thank you that you persevered for our sake amidst very unreasonable circumstances so that you could carry out the work of the cross. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, Lord God. Would you continue to reveal yourself through us to those around us? Lord, for those that are genuinely seeking, do it with reason. And Lord, as much as we can control, let us do it reasonably, being gentle and respectful so that you might reveal yourself and turn people right side up. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.